2: Sits and says, captains and commanders, you're tuned to the Guard Frequency. And as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the Guard. This is episode 110 of the Best Damn Space Sim Podcast Ever, and was recorded on Friday, March the 4th, and made available for download Tuesday, March 8th, over at GuardFrequency.com. I'm Tony. I'm Lennon. And I'm Jeff.
3: Well, what have we got this week, Jeff? Well, in this week's Squawk Box, we bring you a roundup of all sciencey happenings out there in science land. And on the flight deck, we see what news from your favorite space sims has landed as we cover the latest patch from Star Citizen as 2.2 goes live, including the bounty system. And news of delay on Elite Dangerous 2.1 update, The Engineers. Next, Lennon gathers mine and Tony's thoughts on procedural generation. And then we bring you an interview with Mike Kulas and Luke Schneider of Revival Games, the masterminds behind the newest member of the Dissentish family, Overload. This week, we strapped Shiv into the pod to review Dangerous, a space sim on Android. Really? We're covering this? And finally, we tune in the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Well, that takes care of the housekeeping, so
1: let's get on to the show and see what's coming through the Squawk Box. Hey, you boys, need a carrier around
3: here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation
4: normal.
2: Crypto, 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 this is Tony saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone little bit of a news roundup for you guys this week. First up, New Horizons continues to stream data back to Earth from its July 2015 flyby. Because of the large amounts of data involved in the extreme distances, the probe has sent back only about half of the images it's captured so far. And just like the local news here on Earth, the halfway point of the broadcast is your local weather forecast for the Pluto area. Temperatures will be extremely cold and very, very, very partly cloudy. Scientists are scrutinizing several images which appear to show the presence of nitrogen clouds in Pluto's thin atmosphere. This semi-official quasi-announcement has stirred up a spot of bother, or two, naturally. First, if a cloud casts no shadow because there's no sunlight, is it actually a haze? And if it has an atmosphere and clouds, can we please call it a planet again? Film at 11. Next up, literally hours before we recorded, SpaceX delivered another satellite payload via its Falcon 9 heavy rocket into a high Earth orbit. And because it's SpaceX, and because it's a Falcon 9, you know what they tried next. That's right, sports fans, sit back and watch Elon Musk row out that ocean landing platform. Low on fuel, screaming in way hot from high-altitude orbital insertion, it comes down to this dramatic moment when... Yeah. Well, to be fair, SpaceX took a page out of the presidential primary school of expectations setting prior to the launch. No fuel and too fast combined with their whole floating plank in rolling seas landing strategy made the success of this particular recovery particularly unlikely however they swear that next time will be better maybe and finally the orion space launch system is taking shape one stage at a time starting literally at the top the launch abort system was successfully ground tested by manufacturer orbital atk the rocket tower, which rises above the crew capsule as it sits on the launch pad, is designed to pull the crew of the rocket away from the lower stages in the event of a critical failure. It's like a big spiky ejection seat. The rest of the rocket's being assembled in Florida, Mississippi, Louisiana, and many other swamps across the country. The next test flight for Orion is scheduled in late 2018.
1: So SpaceX exploded another rocket when they were trying to catch it again. Yeah. 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 Damn. Far for the course. And this time, uh, like you said, the floating plank, is that the problem? Do we need just like a big, I don't know, like baseball mitt floating in the middle of the sea? I, I think so. Could we just catch the rocket rather than trying to Pushing land it? it? Yeah, you know. Well, I I,
3: I think one of the things they, they are trying to do is land this thing uh, end for end, meaning up uh, vertical. Yeah. What they really need to do is land this thing horizontal. How? What do you mean, how? Well, I mean, aside from my... Brilliant idea of
2: a hammock, which I think would be awesome. They they need to be able to slow the thing down, and the only propulsive force that they've got in the thing are the are the rocket engines at the bottom. So it, it's got to it's got to come in with that end pointed down, so it can you know provide some some lift. Well,
3: it's okay. Yeah, but you can gravity. rotate it just before before it lands, and then you know use uh, you know a small a hammock, a small thrusters to lay it horizontal and 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 do the final feet that way. I can't say I can argue with you, Jeff, because clearly what they're
2: doing now isn't working.
3: Right.
5: Uh,
2: The only successful recovery they have had was a land-based recovery. But I think the problem is, uh, you know, it's not the problem, it's working as intended and designed, is that when they launch the rocket into space, it only has enough fuel to come down in certain areas. So it's not like it can just sort of turn around and pick a spot. Uh, You know, its trajectory and its fuel consumption dictate where it can land. The ocean being where the rocket trail goes you know, when you launch from Florida that shoots out over the Atlantic. And so if they want to recover the rocket, it's going to have to probably come down over the Atlantic. So I, th- I think that that's, they're constrained that way. But I'm, uh, the more I say it out loud, the more I like it. And it's not just because I like the sound of my own voice, although that does count in. But, uh, but I think I think giant floating hammock, I think that might be a thing. Mini hammock. It could tip over, like you said, like you said, Jeff, and and, and fire a couple other little rockets and just go and
1: take a nap. So it's it's kind of like a, a net-based as yeah, 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 I yeah. like it, this. It
2: combine it combines the very best of of all. See, once again, this show's about solving problems.
1: Yeah, it's what
3: we do. Well, yeah, I, I worry about the hammock idea though because the uh, the tonnage. I, I'm not saying it could be
2: like a regular hammock. They could not go down to Walmart and pick up a hammock. And, well, no, 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 of course hammock. not. But it would be a space hammock. But I mean, just think of how awesome having a giant catcher's mitt-shaped space hammock. Well, that's we're gonna. That's how we're gonna combine your idea, Leonard. We're gonna make it a catcher's mitt shape. You know, the maximum catching surface area possible.
1: This would effectively and, be a football goal, though, wouldn't it? Or a no, soccer goal, if that's what you. That's what we're into. With, yeah, with the you know, net Well, of the
2: well life, okay, you know? yeah. We yes. How about that? that? Okay, we could. So we could make a catcher's mitt-shaped soccer goal. Size, you know, big soccer goal. I mean, like, huge soccer goal.
1: Like, <laughs> like the size of a soccer pitch. <laughs> like a soccer pitch,
2: yes. A soccer pitch size soccer goal, catcher's mitt-shaped hammock floating in the middle of the ocean designed to catch it horizontally.
1: Yes. That is the uh, best of it. everything.
2: Bing. Elon Musk, that one was for free. You can give me some of your billions of dollars later on if this works
1: out. I'll just take a Tesla. That'll be fine. Mm, I,
2: no. They're not ready for primetime yet, I don't think. There's...
1: Yeah. yeah, but I like alpha testing. It's fine.
2: You like alpha testing. Yeah. Me, not so much. Nightly build
1: of a Tesla. That's what I'm campaigning for.
2: Yeah, that, that could be fun. Um, uh, you know, I still remember the reports from a couple of years ago where one like, caught on fire and stuff.
1: Yeah, it just keeps you warm in the winter. That's all that is. Overzealous heating. If I lived
2: in Minnesota. Yeah. Have you read, seen, or heard something you think might be interesting to others listening in on the spectrum? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's see what news has hit the flight deck.
3: One seven
1: five Port Bay hands on approach. trigger screen.
2: Call the ball. Then get with me. Our Star Citizen crowdfunding update for March fifth, two thousand sixteen. One hundred nine million five hundred fifty-five thousand of about four hundred fifty thousand. One point two nine four million registered accounts, up about 5,000, and 938,000 ships in the UEE fleet, up about three thousand.
1: And speaking of Star Citizen, if you enjoy the nitty gritty daily build coding level of PC gaming then this has been a really good week for you over at CRG. After iterating their way all the way up through 2.2.0.k and possibly even asking their linguists to have a new alphabet ready just in case, 2.2.0 has been released to the live Star Citizen Alpha server. They knocked out the bugs fast and furious but they warn users with modified CFG files that this can cause issues with quantum travel and that using the Revel and York holotable is still inviting disaster. Rumours that the holotable issues are persisting because the developers want an excuse to design a better system should probably be ignored because, well, apparently, we the fans started those rumours. This release of Star Citizen also includes the first iteration of the bounty system. Previously, those comma rays that were floating out there in space were just an excuse for a quick jaunt with your quantum drive, but now they have a purpose as they define what is termed as monitored space any hostile actions taken against another player in monitored space will result in your wanted level increasing by one. And once your wanted level hits five, your name will appear on the most wanted list and broadcast to every pilot in the verse who will be able to try and take you out and claim the bounty on your head for their very own. But what if you need to take hostile action against another player for, you know, legitimate liberation of cargo and or personal belongings? Well, Now you can fly to the Comma Rays and get out of your ship EVA across and disable them, reducing the effective area of monitored space. However, be careful, as if you get caught doing so, you're going to see an increase in your wanted level.
2: Each increase in your wanted level will add 30 seconds to your spawn timer, but if you hit wanted level 5 and are taken out, you will be kicked from the server. Note this is just for testing, as currently the consequences for breaking every law are somewhat limited in the alpha and will not be how it functions in the live system. To reduce your wanted level, you just need to go into hiding. Going a full ten minutes without committing a crime will reduce your wanted level by one. As always, full patch notes are linked in our show notes. For those unwilling or simply, you know, perhaps unable to play the Alpha Code, there's still a plethora of posts to sate your technical appetites. Mark Abent digs into issues with client tracers and multiplayer on any bug smashers, and there's a reprinted Jump Point article that talks about details of the independent physics grids that allow multi-crew ships to work in the larger universe. Over on 10 for the Chairman, Chris gave us some information about triple monitor setups, network constraints with instance population, and procedural planet generation. Finally, on the more commercial side of things, the Xian Scout and Saber are currently on sale for those who have about 150 bucks to unload, and backers who pledged prior to the $53 million level should now have a J-SPAN Crystar cooler component for their ships. Ooh. I got one. Yeah, yeah, I got one too. Jeff probably has six. Yeah. I haven't been in. I don't know. Well, you probably have six because you're a golden ticket holder.
3: Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> that and a dollar would buy you all, all all hell of a lot. Yeah, all the free
2: milk at Starbucks you can you can get. Yeah, right. The two percent the milk they put on the bar thing. <laughs> you won't even get a coffee at Starbucks for a dollar. So somebody taunted me to see if I would rant about the um, the wanted system, and I'm not gonna. It's still an alpha. It's this, they're they're okay. testing it right. There's not a lot they can do with penalty-wise in a you know an alpha server. They can't take away your money because there's no economy yet. You know they can't uh, impound your ship because you can just go reboot and get another one. You know they can't uh, deny you landing access at platforms because there's only one. So I mean yeah you know, this this is a this is they're just like I said I think they're just testing out the reputation backbone for mission generation purposes and, and, and unlocks like we discussed last week. So
3: Well, it's alpha. We're not going to have a lot of space drama. I mean, it really, that's what it gets down to is, you know, someone ganking somebody else and, you know, the, the little in-game chat lights up and, you know, everybody's going, oh, let's get so-and-so. Yeah, it's like, seven-year-olds at the pool right
1: yeah but like you were saying i think this is a very good way of testing the system especially when there aren't many consequences and if it is just a case of sitting through a loading screen to get back in with a fresh wanted level i don't think that's actually too much of a penalty if like you were saying you know they had an economy and they had a a much more expensive universe then maybe booting you from the server would possibly be a, a bit too extreme but considering it's an alpha i think that that's the closest thing that they can get really to putting you in jail As it were, I do also like the um, the five star wanted system, which is uh, what what is the word we use? An homage, I think, to the (laughs) Grand Theft Auto style of wanted levels.
3: Well, you know, even if it was beta, and so I mean, it's anything but release or or you know, public public play. You know, it's still a system to be tested. It needs its testing. Uh, We got to find: Am I going to get a wanted level for protecting myself, for example, or? Is there a, a shoot first mechanism? You know, whatever is going on with it, it has to be fully tested and flushed out. I would like to see them put
2: in a some sort of active thing you can do to reduce your wanted level. Whether it's, I don't know, a search and rescue mission, maybe? Huh? Huh? Yeah. Um, you know, something that would, you know, number one, it would test the ratchet down function, right? This one is just a timer, you know. So wait 10 minutes, your wanted level goes down. Be logged into the game for 10 minutes, we decrease your reputation with the wanted faction. Let's call it that, you know, however you yeah. want to call the, the mechanic. But I think they do need to throw something in there that is an active thing that they can do to test that de-escalation side of it. So 2.2.0Q, uh, you know, six <laughs> patches from now or whatever. Yeah, let's see a let's see an active de-escalation uh, mechanic in there, but. But it's, it's good. Uh, the real test, of course, will be when they actually start putting the economy together in there. Uh, but it's good to see additional backbone pieces getting getting rolled out.
1: Yeah, and I think that this is a, g- a good level of steady progress. Um, and again, they're almost back to the nightly builds. In fact, there was a couple of times when they were publishing like two patches in a day. So that's like, uh, I don't know, day and night builds. I don't really know what more I could ask for there.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's the global infrastructure, right? They can hand off between UK and, and uh, US... In Germany,
1: yeah, you've got you've got a point. There's always a nightly build somewhere.
2: That's right. It's five o'clock somewhere. Yeah, and so someone's always drinking and spilling beer on the server at some point in the globe.
1: Yeah,
3: there's so much I wanted. I would love to tell. I I really would love to get my cutlass red in there and start testing search and rescue. I really would. I'm so excited about doing it. It's yeah. just like. Okay.
2: Yeah, know I think I don't think it would be that hard to do either. Well, no, actually, I take that back. I don't know that they've got the re- a way to recover pilots yet. You know, modeled in the game, it would have to be one of those fly up to a guy and, and hit the use button.
3: I know that's you know that all that stuff's got to be worked out. Yeah, but you know, I mean, it, you could still you could
2: still do that. I mean, again, the purpose would be to test the reputation system, not necessarily to test a, a functioning search and rescue system. That could come later, but. You know, get the get the mechanic of the de-escalation in there, and in a you know a, a fictionally appropriate way. You know, rescuing a downed pilot I think would buy you some grace from the local authorities.
1: I know that you're the one who normally puts the legal spin on it, but so this is effectively like a space version of community service. You know, yeah. you've been caught doing a crime. You're not going to get sent to prison for it, but you might have to—I don't know—whitewash a few walls or something, or pick up the litter in the park. That
2: kind yes, of thing. Yes, yeah, exactly. The the highway litter patrol. You know, yeah. Here, here's your here's your red jacket and your plastic bag. Uh, have at it. Yeah. Is anybody going to be buying the Gian uh, Scout or the Saber this time around?
1: Probably not. Um, the uh, uh, mainly. Uh, as, as I've said countless times the Freelancer was the ship that I want, and I've got that now. I do like the Sabre. I like the look of it. It's very clean, and it, it really does feel to me more like a fighter jet than even the Hornet, and I, I know that the Hornet's got the, the legacy, but the Sabre just kind of I don't know, there's something about the shape of it that just makes me think of, of the sort of Top Gun style fighter planes, and it's probably something that I'm definitely going to work towards once I'm in the actual game but probably not something I'm going to cough up money for beforehand. The Xion Scout, on the other hand, looks really interesting, but uh, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't really see where it fits in on the scale of everything. Not that I think each ship needs to specifically have a job, but having a job does help define, you know, what sort of things you can expect to do with it. And I just don't really find an appropriate place for it to slot in, even if that's taking. A, a role that exists already. It just seems like everything can just do something slightly better than it can. And so, yeah, I, I, I don't know. What about you? No,
2: no. I, I, like, I've like i got my stable uh, pretty much filled how I like it right now. And uh, like you said, the Xian Scout is an interesting ship, but I think it's more like a toy or a status symbol. It's yeah. Like, you know, it's like the guy that has the, the, the Corvette in the garage, and you know, he takes it out on the weekends to impress the chicks because he has to wear a toupee. You know, it's like you know, this—it's two pay compensation.
1: It's your midlife crisis kind of ship.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. Once once it gets in the game and people you know, fly it and figure out its quirks, you know, that, that may be a different story. It you know, may be a hornet killer. For now, it just seems like. I kind of agree with you. There doesn't have a not a spot for it. The Saber, I think, with your Top Gun comment. I think it actually was, uh, if I remember right, inspired by the F-14. Yeah, they took an F-14, and sort of looked at it, and went, "Yeah, let's do that." I have the Harbinger, and that's derived from the P-38. But I always felt that one was more of an F-14-like fighter in its capabilities. I think the Sabers are more, you know, I think it's supposed to be wired for stealth or something like that. That is not the F-14. The F-14 had like a humongous radar in the front that would scream. Here I am coming to kill you to everything within hundreds of miles, and it was big and fast and loud, and that's the vanguard. But the look of the F fourteen was, uh, I think, that's in the saber.
3: What about you, Jeff? I have a, an Avenger, and I have a Gladius, and I have a a, a a Super Hornet. I'm trying not to be combat heavy because we're not a combat organization. Uh, we're you know a search and rescue, so I I think my stable is is kind of full right now. And um, really, I want to be gainfully employed for a lot longer than three weeks <laughs> before I no. yeah, yeah. Yeah, before I spend any money on on ships that that are you know ships.
1: What are your thoughts on the Xian uh, scout?
3: It's kind of uh, ugly. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the video, the animation video, and I I thought that was all cool, but uh, you know it's you know I can take it out so. As long as I can take it out, that's, that's all I care about. Knock off one engine at a time, right? Yeah. ping, you know,
1: <laughs> ping, 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 ping. Yeah, it's not going to take much, is it, to really bring that thing down? Well, depending on its shields. Yeah, depending on its shields and what type of engine it's got and how nippy it is and how good the mm-hmm. pilot is. But if it was just stood there in front of you, you know, something like, well, well even the Sabre, you know, the look of it, it can take one hell of a beating. The Giant Scout looks like it could fall apart at any moment.
2: That's true. It doesn't look tough. That's for sure.
1: But it does have alien tech, so maybe that's why. Look. Maybe I'm talking myself out of this and I should shut up right now.
3: Save your credit card, London. Save your credit card. The biggest news in Elite Dangerous this week is the delay of update 2.1, The Engineers. A shareholder update was released March 2nd, which stated that instead of an April release expected internally by Frontier, The Engineers would not launch until the new financial year that starts June 1st. Since then, David Braden and Michael Brooks have clarified several points. The delay amounts to about six weeks from the original intended date. Beta for 2.1 is planned for May, and smaller patches and fixes will continue to be pushed to the live game in the meantime. Elite's dev update returned this week, bringing us information on consequences and rewards for the mission system update coming with the engineers in June. Not only will the noon missions better communicate how success or failure will affect your relationship with whatever minor faction you're working for, but they'll also let you know how your efforts affect the influence that faction in the galactic simulation. Consequences may also be more immediate in some cases, such as attacking authority vessels with a response described as sharper. Finally, Rewards will not only be balanced better with difficulty and your standing with a faction, but also will expand to include materials for crafting, commodities, and even salvage-only items, with some new mission-specific items being added in the update. Some missions may lead you to caches of supplies or other treasures as well. Finally, a long-sought-after feature has been confirmed as coming with 2.1. To quote the dev, update, Commanders will be able to bookmark locations on the galaxy map and system map, bookmarking things like star systems, planets, asteroid belts, starports, outposts, surface ports, and settlements. It's about damn time. Yeah, seriously, here, here. it took them long enough to get around to that one.
2: Here, here. That mm. was a huge drawback. I mean, yeah, it was good for your immersion that you have to go know what planet was i on that had that great port that sold those weapons at a discount and had that hazrez zone what was the name of that place you know that's like real life like where did i get drunk that one time and hit my head and and get arrested and all? oh good times good times you know don't make it hard for me i want to go back to that spot and have fun i don't need to you know fish around in my bad memory to figure out where i was or when i got blown up or whatever don't go there. So I, this is a great feature. Glad to see they're finally putting in. Sad that it's not going to be until June.
1: Yeah, it is a little way off. But I, I think the fact that it's even coming is a good thing. <laughs> so, like, yeah. again, how they missed it the first time around, I really don't know. Because if you look at pretty much any MMO or RPG-style game, um, you can usually always write like little notes on your map, which is you know effectively yeah. the same as bookmarks. So... It just seems as something as fundamental as like a friends list, you know, that why would that not be in there from the beginning?
3: Well, I I just hope the bookmarking system will have room for a lot of notes because I remember uh, Eve, you know, the uh, you could bookmark uh, locations and stuff, but it was just a set of coordinates and, and uh, waypoints or whatever. Uh, it It's like you got this long list and you go, what the heck did I have that for?
2: Yeah, what was special about that spot? Yeah. yeah. If it's six months later, you might not remember why you put that on your, or why you bookmarked that spot. Let me gather your thoughts on this, gentlemen. Is it, do, is that left-hand menu getting crowded with all the different things that that's doing your navigation and all that kind of stuff? Is that a reason that maybe this is, this bookmarking system has been a long time coming? And then follow-up question: Is that because they have designed this thing for console and computer? That they've had to shoehorn so many things into that that sort of menu-driven system?
3: I don't think so. I, I think the left-hand menu actually could use more items in it. I think that no matter what kind, even if you were actually flying a spaceship of some kind, you would have to have some type of, of menu-driven console to, you know, go through the different things on your ship. So I don't know what else you
1: would do. Yeah, I'm kind of with Jeff on that. I don't think the left menu is too crowded at all, and there isn't any reason why they couldn't have it on the little uh, i don't know what to call it like the planetary sub menu you know when you like click on a planet and then you get the little things that come up to sort of plot a route and uh, to mm. investigate the planet. you know you could even just have a little star by the side of that there to be able to bookmark it make it quite simple do i think that they're probably having to do all this because of the consoles and the, yeah uh, i obviously with a console you're limited to the number of inputs that you can have namely you know most people will want to play with a control pad So you have to be able to map all the functions to probably about, you know, 25 buttons and no more. Whereas obviously on a keyboard, you've got 105 keys minimum that you can usually pick from to be able to do these sorts of things, as well as having the mouse to be able to pull out extra menus and so forth. So yeah, it probably is done that way. But again, there's no reason why they couldn't have multiple menus on the left, you know, slide out each one individually rather than having a permanent bar. With lots of icons on it, if you're trying to reduce the clutter.
2: Well, you know, in a modern in modern fighters, they all have multifunction displays. You know, you, you, you see, the, you know, the glass cockpit situation where you have two or three small monitors, and the modern, more modern ones, one big one. You know, that's that
3: are configurable,
2: um, and they have buttons on the side to change what information is up there. So.
3: Well, I don't know, Tony. I tell you, you should pick up a copy of Falcon 4.0. Uh, that's a true true flight simulator. And those multi-function i mean, if you got to know all the buttons and knobs—and uh. uh,
2: right, they're not marked. It doesn't say at the top, you know, navigation. Right, it, it doesn't say that. You know, you have to know that the, the third button is for navigation. Now, they may have a, something on the screen down below it that changes as you hit the button, but you know, it's it, yeah, it's it's. This is where where the sim gets in the way of the gameplay. Uh, if they try to do it too much, like you know, quote real life, they have to be able to work it on a gamepad. It's got to be able to work on a gamepad in order for it to, to for it to work. So that's that. Those are those trade-offs that they've got to make. Well, and also uh, the delay to June 1st is that a problem for you guys? Is that I mean I think typically our answer is that take the time you need to get it right. But that's that's an it was a long wait till April, and now it's an even longer wait.
3: You know, it's quite interesting that uh, you know they're making the delay. But however, you know I haven't played in a while simply because it's been so. Not much to do anything except just going hunting and everything, but... uh
2: And it's been less
3: stable, too. Oh, really? I have... Like I said... For I me, yeah. I've had more
2: crashes in the last month or two than I have in the entire year I've been playing. The only time I noticed it really happening was when a cobra... It's like something about the sound files of the cobra or the... Oh, uh,
3: interesting. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That was the only reliable trigger. It was like the game would, like, freeze, and then it would go, and it would freeze... And then it would go. And it did that a dozen times, and then finally it just locked up. I mean, it was like a, at one time it was actually a, a reboot. Like it wasn't even a crash to desktop. It was just my computer shut down and rebooted itself. So that was, uh, that was, and that's been happening more. So I was glad to see that they're committing to still some, doing some smaller updates in the meantime, because the first thing that I saw was that we're not really patching the game until June. I'm like, what? No, 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 no. But maybe they've backed off that stance since then. It has not been stable.
1: Yeah, that's obviously for the major patch, though. I, I Additional I, features. Yeah, yeah. When I when I first read this, I, I was kind of along the lines of what they said there, which, you know, they're not bringing the main patch out of June, but there's no reason why. That means that they can't iterate on smaller patches. Also, I think that the delay will be a good thing because, again, it's better to have it done than in several pieces. and this update is not just bringing like one new item it's affecting loads of little systems because obviously you've got the engineers which means it's got to be they've got like the crafting system which is being introduced but the everything to do with the minor factions is having to be put in all the things to do with the loot tables to be able to find the crafting you know there's there are a lot of things that will be affected by the introduction of this system so the fact that it's coming in june i think that's going to be okay and honestly it's not that far to wait and you know to the best of my knowledge is pretty much the only major delay that elite has really suffered from there have been like minor ones but this is the first one where it's been a good few weeks
2: yeah and and prior large feature rollouts have not always been wonderful <laughs> yeah wings <coughs> wings the wings are terrible when they first came out so yeah taking the extra time is not that big of a deal i'm just i hope they do continue to iterate on the small bug fixes quality of life type stuff and they don't hold that back because there are cracks there that were not there previously and so hopefully they can iron those out before they add a bunch of features in on top of it
3: i do too i you know the news wasn't bleak or anything i you know i i know they're trying to adhere to a schedule that you know they promise these these expansions on a timely manner but i think you said it before tony as long as it's done well it it is a production game so i think that maybe that uh the longer time is necessary Maybe they're going to stuff it full. I, I don't know. We're only hearing some of the stuff that, that, that's in there already. So, But now it's time for news we didn't use. <music> if anyone needs a new reason to feel old, Wing Commander 4 just turned 20.
2: No Man's Sky is now available for pre-order. Check out a Steam client near you.
1: Infinity Battlescape's developer Access Build has been released, giving backers their first taste of this hotly anticipated title.
3: And Star Citizen's monthly update for February has been released. Check it out over at the Robert Space Industries website. Wing Commander turning 20, boy, I feel old. Hell,
2: the, the invention of the computer should make you feel old. <laughs> it does. But, but,
1: but what is old to an immortal? You know, <laughs> yeah. What is age, really, other than just a number? Uh, I remember when the, the abacus was new. Oh, that was a thing. <laughs> yeah, if you thought you had to wait for June until a patch for that, wait till you see the patch for the abacus. That thing took years. <laughs> uh, the, the
2: move from stone to wood pieces, that was huge. Oh, it caused a lot of trouble. <laughs>
1: Well, our debates have been so successful that the UN is considering using them to establish peace in the Middle East. So, whilst we're riding high on the international success... Gentlemen, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to debate for us procedural generation. I will give you each 30 seconds to present your case and then a further 30 seconds to reply. As a result of a coin flip, Tony, you're up first, and Jeff, you're up second. So, Tony, tell me... What is so bad about procedural generation?
2: Lenin, well, procedural generation is a little bit of a cop out. You're designing a game, you're designing an environment for people to go play in. You are the game master. You know, you should be giving people an experience, not an algorithm in which they can eh, maybe experience something, maybe not. It narrows the scope of possibilities when you leave it up to a formula to decide what's possible, not your imagination.
3: Okay, Jeff. Tony, you ignorant slut, don't you understand that procedural generation is the next greatest thing in simming? I mean, think about it. There's no more load screens. There's no more instance transitions that are common in all other games. You get to move from space all the way down to planet side without ever having to take a break. It it is groundbreaking as far as space sims go. Go, Tony. Jeff, but what do you find
2: when you get down there? If you have a procedural generation system, what you're going to find is the same old vanilla whatever every single time. You might find variations from here to there, but you're constrained by the formula, not constrained by the developer's imagination of what you're going to find while you're there. It's a quantity versus quality argument, and I think it—I uh, don't think it comes down on the right side of that.
3: Tony, you ignorant slut. I think that you're missing the whole idea of, of the procedural generation. It's a process in which you, you seamlessly move from one instance to another. And what happens once you get down into that instance should always be changing. I haven't seen anything yet that suggested that things were going to remain the same. It's like, going sky side to planet side and and maybe experiencing weather or you know fog or something that that would should always be changing on that and nobody i haven't seen anything yet that says that i can't or won't happen
1: All right, a couple of great points there, gents. Um, I- I've got to be honest, when I first established the procedural generation argument, I didn't actually take into account things like weather systems and actual changing conditions on the planet. That is an interesting angle, Jeff. Uh, genuinely took me by surprise. I was thinking more of the sort of, "are oh, you fly out into deep space and there's a planet type thing, you know. So... I actually like that angle I Originally I was kind of Sort of on Tony's side of the debate But I, I think I'm changing sides now I'm glad I could be of service to you <laughs> I mean, I'm glad you could as well Jeffrey This has been a, a
2: wonderful day A wonderful day When when we <laughs> we, were, we provide new and fresh thoughts For
3: our listeners and ourselves Are we all clear on what what this really is? I mean Was my understanding of it Different than your understanding of it?
2: Well I think you focused on a different aspect of it, but you know procedural generation is where you take a seed for a mathematical algorithm, and that algorithm takes the seed and generates an environment based on a mathematical calculation. Here's mountains, here's oceans, here's plants, here's an atmosphere, uh, That's and that's the wrinkle that you brought in. It does enable those sorts of seamless transitions because you're not waiting for files to load Right, in a pre-rendered sort of environment. Right. The computer just generates it on the fly, and so it's it becomes part of the calculation of the game. So you were focusing on a, on an aspect of it that I was not focusing on, but it's it's a valid point. Yeah, completely valid. It makes that possible, where pre-rendering an entire planetary environment with textures and and geometry just could it not it couldn't happen.
3: Right. Well, you're still gonna oh, okay. Let me take the example of Nix. Okay, you're flying into Nix. Nix has a certain set layout, certain rocky right. outcroppings and, and it's you know in an area that's you know uh, been modeled uh, by the uh, graphic designers and whatnot. Mm-hmm. The idea is that coming in for a landing with NIX and I'm exiting space and going for a planetary landing, instead of that loading screen coming up when I reach a certain altitude or a certain like, kind of like we do in right now in Elite dangerous, it transitions you to starting that landing now because most of that area is fixed or mod- uh, and modeled certain things can happen you can have if if the, if nix had an atmosphere or something the model is not going to change but the things around it might uh, like you know have an, right. have an atmosphere or or uh, be rainy or uh, whatever and that, and that i think brings in some really good gameplay You might be buffeted with strong winds, or so you know, sure, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah,
2: we just do the debate part just for the heck of it, but I mean, the that's like the best of both worlds, right? Like where you procedurally generate the planet as a whole and the environmental variables and let that be controlled by the model and the algorithm, but you also handcraft an experience for the players. But when you get out there into the quote universe you know, the bulk of that will be procedurally generated. And the argument kind of goes, well, kind of what you're doing then is you're making everything sort of vanilla. You know, you have the volcano planets, and they're going to behave within this narrow set of parameters. And you've got the ice planets, and they're all going to be kind of the same. And you've got the Earth-like planets, which don't have any colonies or landing spaces in them, but they're all going to be sort of the same. You know, it's, it's it's a variety of monotony. Is that kind of that argument? Is that because you're not sculpting and handcrafting and making decisions about the game environments, you're letting the computer do that for you, you're going to have a lot of carbon copy stuff going on. Yeah, there'll be little niggly, little tiny differences here and there, but well, I, oh, guys, I found another volcano planet. Yay.
3: Well, I, I think every game is going to do procedural generation a little bit differently. I mean Elite's not going to do it the same way that Star Citizen and it's not going to do it the same way as No Man's Sky. No Man's Sky is huge and I can't see them modeling every single planet that's out there so I expect procedural yeah. generation for the effect that it's going to That
2: is the game. Right. right. Yeah, they've gone all they've swung the needle yeah. all the way over to procedural right. generation.
3: Whereas in Star Citizen I see okay, I I know Nix mining for example that's going to have a certain layout. It's going to have a certain function. And it's always going to look the same whenever I mean, same that the, you know, the, the landing pad is always going to be in the same spot. And if I choose to fly around the planet, there might be some procedural generation on the other side or, or, or oh, yeah, beyond definitely. the beyond the scope. But that is a fixed asset that is going to be procedurally generated around it is that clear? Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's the best of both worlds. No, right.
2: They're mixing they're mixing the both of them. They're mixing both. And that's you know putting the needle more in the middle. And I think that's the trickier balance is to say our game is part theme park, part sandbox and finding that right balance uh, could be kind of tricky. That's where the the decisions will come in, I think. Acknowledging that there will be a variety of monotony in some places. You just accept that as part of the design of the game. It's not all going to be handcrafted.
1: Well, you've heard our thoughts on it, so we want to hear what you guys have to think as we bring you this week's community question. Procedural generation is having millions of strange new worlds to explore appealing, or just another reminder that the deep black can get pretty lonely and kind of repetitive. Let us know your thoughts, send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com, or post over on our show's thread over on our website, guardfrequency.com.
3: Now that we're all caught up with the latest news, let's go talk to Luke and Mike of Revival Productions as we discuss Overload. (laughs) indicate identity with recognition codes immediately. I am a cipher. A cipher.
2: Wrapped in an enigma. Smothered in secret sauce. Alright, with me here in the virtual global HQ of Guard Frequency is Mike Koulos, founder and Luke Schneider, lead designer of Revival Productions. Thanks for joining us, guys. Glad to be here. Nice to see you. Or hear you. Mostly hearing. We're, we're, We're typically a radio show, so there'll be a lot of hearing going on.
0: So, what are you guys up to? Probably just hanging out Playing Nintendo, watching your uh, Kickstarter campaign numbers tick up.
2: Well, um,
5: we we are doing that. Fortunately, after a while, you stop pressing refresh all the time and get back to work. So, uh, <laughs> but we had a good day today. We uh, uh, we got a ton of backer, ton of added backers. We announced um, a playable demo that's going to go out to all of the backers, and then it's going to go out to the whole wide world. So um, nice. And uh, so we got a lot of up pledges and a lot of. Uh, a, a lot of new pledges out of that. So I guess I reverted a little bit. Instead of working on the demo, that's going to be dropping tomorrow,
2: pressing refresh a little bit more often today. <laughs> <laughs> that F5 key is is uh, earning its keep today. That's huh? right. So uh, what uh, what can players expect from the demo? Is it
4: going to be a single level, the character creation screen? What do you got planned? Well, it's actually it's not really a demo, because the demo is like a part of the full game, and this is not the full game at all. It's a, really a playable teaser, sort of like the PT teaser from... Silent Hill, so it's just a a small portion to give people a a sense of how the game plays, and it has three different levels, or actually like four small levels broken up into little chunks. And first, we have like a a little level where you just get to get used to the controls and how the power-ups work and how the robots are. And then we have two parts of a level where you go and blow up a reactor, and that's sort of like the main gameplay that we'll expect for the game. And then we have a challenge mode level where it's just a smaller level, kind of like a multiplayer-sized level, and you just go around blowing up robots, and they're constantly spawning and attacking you. It's kind of like a a single-player version of a Halo firefight mode where guys are constantly coming at you, and you're trying to kill as many robots as possible. And it gets really intense. Like, when there's five or six robots coming after you at once, like, all the robots are pretty tough, so it becomes a a really cool sort of different experience for the, the player.
0: That yeah, sounds like a lot of fun.
4: Yeah, we, we hope people will really enjoy it. They, they get to experience all the controls and the explosions and our sort of brand of how we're trying to bring Six Degree of Freedom shooters back to a wider audience. Because there's been some hardcore games that have done really well, like uh, Sub Level Zero and Descent Underground, but they're multi Descent Underground is multiplayer only, and, and you really only can enjoy that game if you're really good at Six Degree of Freedom shooters. And we want everyone to enjoy Six Degree of Freedom shooters, so that's what we're trying to do with Overload.
5: One of the reasons we wanted to get this teaser out there is uh, part of the way, certainly, that Descent played and the way Overload plays, and really any good six-degree of freedom shooter will play, the the way that the the player the ship moves is very important. Um, The player has to feel really connected to it. It's not as, as obvious to someone who's not familiar with the genre, so we wanted to get it out there. We're very pleased with how the the ship controls and what it feels like. We think it feels very authentic, very 90s. People who are familiar with games from back then will be very comfortable with it, but we've also made it much easier to control. It works really well on a gamepad, and we thought that we could persuade a lot of people and generate some talk about it by getting it out there.
0: Are you can yeah. have Steam Controller support? Uh, it's not
4: Steam Controller support for this part, but for the final game, it will, of course, have that. Right, There's not that many people actually have Steam Controllers yet, but we do have the 360 controller is the default gamepad controller, but it works really well with a mouse and keyboard or a joystick and keyboard as well.
5: Luke's got his 20-something-year-old joystick sitting here right on the desk. It
2: never broke. Well, this is actually the second little bonus bump that you guys have announced during the course of the campaign. The first being is that you are also going to be including a multiplayer component in your game, not at launch, but uh, shortly after launch. Are you guys finding that those extra little teasers, those add-ons, are giving you those bumps as you move along in the campaign?
5: Yeah, they generate more interest. Well, I was going to say that people can stop asking about, are you going to support multiplayer? But once we say we're going to support multiplayer, that only opens it up to many, many more kinds of questions. So (laughs) that's a fool's errand. But multiplayer is something that we always wanted to support, figured we probably would if things were going well, but we didn't want to announce it. We didn't want to disappoint people. So we thought we would just take it off the table and say, we'll do it if, you know, if things, whatever, you know, if it funds, if it goes well, if, um, uh, you know, we want to think about that later. And that's kind of the way we developed the scent, except we had a publisher finally say, no, if I'm going to give you these advances I want multiplayer and they were right Uh, we didn't want to do it but they were right so we kind of went the same approach here it's like let's get single player really done or close to done and then we'll think about multiplayer. We'll see how that's going. So we haven't worked on multiplayer yet. We've only barely thought about multiplayer. But yeah, we wanted to get it out there. We had a lot of... It's multiplayer with fairly significant uh, extent that kept Descent alive, that kept people playing it for two decades. We wanted to leverage off of that to uh, keep, the, help keep that community together and shift them over to Overload
2: as much as possible. Well, let's talk a little bit of history then, because uh, this is just the newest chapter in your guys' involvement in Six degree of Freedom Development. So Descent comes out in 1990, was it 4 or 5? Uh, 4 was the share where 5 was the full version of Descent 1. Okay, and then you guys literally take Doom to another dimension, those Doom shooters to another dimension there. And then so Descent 2 in 1997, and then things happen with your company and the game and the industry. So, let's start with the company first you know stuff happened after that 20 years
5: went by or so
4: let's fill in those gaps there
5: so let's see yeah descent 2 actually came out in 1996
4: march of 96 i bought it day one ah.
5: yeah uh, luke was in college um you were on the volleyball team weren't you and you decided... not by
4: the time descent 2 came out oh, like...
5: okay So, Matt and I formed Parallax Software in Champaign, Illinois. He was living in Boston at the time and we had worked on a long and torturous project called Car and Driver for Ned Lerner, it was published by EA. Every single person was in a different city and I think of the six person team, we were in four different time zones Um, (laughs) and obviously communication wasn't the thing that it is today. You know, now it almost doesn't matter. But back then, that was incredibly painful. So we wanted to start a company make our own game. And uh, we thought we have to be in the same room. So Boston's a lot more expensive than Champagne. Uh, So Matt uh, was kind enough to move here so we could start things. But it was was quite clear that he didn't want to stay here in Champagne uh, for the rest of his life. And I said, no problem, neither do I. But when the time came, it it just we start, my wife and I started getting dug in deeper, had a yeah. child, had a house and all. But fortunately, the success of Descent made it economically not a problem to split the company in two. So Matt formed Outrage Entertainment in Ann Arbor, and uh, Parallax still exists to this day as a legal entity. Um, but I, I operated under Volition. Matt operated under Parallax. And then uh, Volition went on to do Free Space and Dominor Red Faction got acquired by THQ, and did Saints Row, uh one, two, three, four, and and then I left uh right about the time three was being developed and Luke's chapter begins at Outrage in nineteen ninety six, right?
4: Ninety seven. Yeah, well it actually begins when I first played the Descent Shareware version. Like I was a huge fan of Doom and TIE Fighter and this is like the right. merging of those two games in a way that I never imagined. So I loved Descent from the moment I first played it and then I went and bought the full version and then I found out you can make levels for it, so I downloaded the level editor. I'd never done anything like that before. I made tons of levels for Descent and then I made—I bought Descent 2 the day it came out. I was the first person to discover the final boss was invulnerable on Hotshot.
5: That was a bug I created in a way no one should ever create a bug unless you own the company because you'd get fired, but I decided to make the bosses harder. At the very end, and uh, my math was correct, except I was working on 16-bit integers, and they overflowed, and uh, <laughs> it was impossible to kill the boss on Hotshot Insane or just Hot Insane, Shot.
4: Ace and Insane,
5: Hotshot Ace and Insane. And uh, Luke found it, and uh, <laughs> and we the, the post still exists in what what is it Google Groups is that where yeah. they live now Yeah, All Games Descent lives in Google Groups, so. Uh, Luke's flaming of me, I guess. It's uh, <laughs>
4: more like a, a general rant that people who said I was crazy for saying the boss was invulnerable. He
5: hated the people who doubted them more than he hated me. Fortunately,
2: that's that's the best kind of job interview.
4: No, 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 sir. I don't hate you. I hate uh, the people yeah. that
2: don't believe me that you're wrong. That's right.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, after. Uh, after Descent Two came out, I kept making levels, and then I made some custom editors for making custom robots. And one of my levels got the attention of Matt Toshlog, and he emailed me and said, "Hey, I like your levels. They're some of the best I've seen in a while." It's like, "Oh, cool! That's great because I'd really love to work there." And he's like, and the next day, Craig Derrick, the producer on Descent Three, emailed me and he's like, "You should apply for a job," and I did. And six months later, I started working at Outrage on Descent Three as a level designer. And then I worked six years at Outrage and then six years at Volition. And then I've been independent for about five years. And then I've been working with Matt and Mike at Revival for the last year or so.
0: Even though the company went through some transition, shall we say, uh, the game continued on. What's it like watching your creation soldier on for all these years with mods and the community? It's been... um... I don't want to sound
5: maudlin, but it's been kind of inspiring. You know, it, we, we went on to other games, and when you work on a game, for a while, for, there's a period. There certainly has been, for me, the last thing I want to do is see that game again. You know, I heard the Descent 1 level 1 music start to play, what, 3,000 times during the development of that. Um, you know, I would just write some AI, test it, and you know, so you get, you're ready to put it aside for a while. Um, And then you get immersed in the next game, you know, and then it's all about free space for us. But, uh, you know, it's it's very gratifying that other people kept playing it. It's, you know, a relatively small community, but they're very serious about it. They're very hardcore. And... They've spent, I don't know, in some cases, 10,000 or more hours playing it. That feels good. And Descent was our first game, you know, as an independent company. So it was going to be more special for us anyway. So that people still like our first game. Without that, I don't know that we would have started on overload. We would have done something. We got the itch and we wanted to get back in the industry. But it might have been different if there wasn't still that core support for it.
2: Do you guys envision Overload doing that same sort of thing, you know, uh, is it is this another one you hope stands that sort of test of time that people can take apart, throw Battlestar Galactica
5: skins on it and keep going for another decade? Well, we've already announced that we will, correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, your IQ drops by 50% when you're doing a Kickstarter because you get consumed by it. But um, I believe (laughs) we announced that uh, we will release the editor. The degree to which we make it user-friendly and provide support for it depends on, you know, how the campaign goes. Is that what we said, Luke? Good, I got that right. Um, And we do plan to release modding tools as well. One of the things that mattered for both dissent and free space, I think, was we also released the source code and. Um we haven't talked about whether we're going to do that yet. In some ways, it's definitely helped us with overload. The fact that we did that 20 years ago in descent. You know, if if someone would have said, you know, this will be, you'll be glad you did this in 20 years, I would have thought, well, that's insane. 20 years, <laughs> you know, in software, people won't even know how to play. You know, mm-hmm. find a machine to play this anymore. It turned out not to be the case. So, 20 years from now, I'm not going to say how old I'll be then, but I don't know anybody that age um, making games. But uh, maybe I, I will. It's, it's an unimaginably long period of time to look forward at this stage of my life, but you know maybe we'll do it. That was something that kept things alive. We haven't talked about it, but certainly enabling people to stay with the game. And you know people get very invested they, they've in, in it because they've created something that, you know, they've supported the franchise, but they've also created something that's part of it. So it, it makes people much more passionate about it. And that can make a small community very
2: strong. Let's talk for a minute about that idea of investment and creation and, quite frankly, ownership. You know, dissent has a long history. Other IPs maybe have a more tortured corporate past than dissent, but this one is fairly tortured with rights getting split up amongst different entities and stuff like that. Some of which is in the public hands, you know, some of which was created by modders in the community, some of which was created by you guys, some of which is maybe not created by, but owned by other people. Does that make? This project more difficult, or do you think you guys have some special insight in how to go forward, thanks to that experience?
5: We certainly have insight, um, and the insight we have here is, it's uh, we want to own every single piece that goes into that game and not license anything to anybody. And one key part of doing that is that you're paying for it yourself or through something like you know Kickstarter where you haven't surrendered control in exchange for money. The developer-publisher relationship, certainly in the 90s, and I doubt it's become more friendly, is that the publisher would advance money, but the publisher would retain very strong rights. In the case of Dissent, Interplay, in perpetuity, owns the trademark right. You know, we're making a game in the genre, obviously. We own a lot of, most of the copyright, the vast majority of the copyright in the Descent material. So, for example, we could put the Pyro GX in there. We could put, it's not a very character-heavy game, but we could put Material Defender and Dravis and things like that in there. So there are things we can do from Descent in Overload. But they're more like big Easter eggs to the extent we would do it. Because we're really right. trying to establish a new game here. Yeah, um, We don't have the Descent brand. We will not be having the Descent brand on it. I, I think that would have helped the Kickstarter. But it also pushes us into a, a clean slate. And, you know, uh, keeping our eyes, our op- whatever, our, our brain open to whatever makes the game the best.
2: Well, let's turn to the industry in general or the, or the game genre in general. You know, the Six degree of Freedom game, clearly with you and Descent Underground, it's back. So uh, why? After being dead for a decade,
4: what do you think brought those things back? Well, I think joysticks are making somewhat of a comeback. I think VR actually works really well with these style of games. And then I think it's also like there was no good reason for them not to really exist. And people are finally realizing that. And for some reason, Descent was the best 60-degree freedom shooter made. And then nobody topped it for a while. And then it just sort of died out when all the mounts like mics and keyboards became like the standard controls and nobody tried to make a really good six degree freedom shooter with mouse and keyboard controls. And for some reason, nobody made a console version. So we're trying to tackle all of those things at once. And we're also focusing on single player first because you need people to start playing the game from the beginning and not just jump into multiplayer and just be sort of destroyed by people who've been playing this genre for 20 years. So that's why I think our focus on single player, having the controls work regardless of what kind of control style you like, doing it on consoles, Um, all this stuff is really sort of just saying, okay, we really want to bring back as many players as possible. Or not even bring them back, but get new players in there. And I think people will really enjoy how the controls are in our playable teaser. And we've been saying a lot that you know, once people get to play the game, get the feel of this game, they'll understand why overload is the best six degree freedom shooter and we're really putting our money where our mouth is right now and it's just like we're just going to put it out there even though it's not done it's not totally polished but we feel like the game will speak for itself once people play it
5: I think another thing that's happening is that Overload, if it sells 100,000 copies, a publisher's not even going to want to think about you for that number of units. But we'll be profitable on that. And partly because we're we're the publisher of it too. So the money is being chopped into fewer pieces. So a lot more things are possible. I I think um, as console, high-end console, was really where the focus for a lot of professional big team, non-indie development went publishers don't want to take chances with 30 or 50 or gosh now hundreds of millions of dollars they want to make what you know something like something else that's been recently very successful so i agree with all the things luke said you know the the console game controllers are very good for playing overload all that stuff matters and it's good but i think without the economic shift where groups can largely self fund or at least get over the hump on it and they don't need a publisher uh, they can be their own publisher. I think that has also led to a much greater variety in the games that are being made today.
0: So this is part of the interview where we turn the microphone over to you guys. Is there anything you want to say? Get the last word?
5: We would love to see you visit our Kickstarter page and back us there. We've got a a, a campaign that is way more exciting in the last week than we had hoped it would be. You know, we hoped we'd be coasting now and talking about stretch goals. So, you know, we think we've got something really nice here, and we're putting the playable teaser out to show that to a lot of people. We will make a better game. We, we will finish Overload, um, no matter what happens. Friday morning, our campaign ends. We will, we will make Overload, no matter what, but we will definitely make a better Overload with multiplayer, amongst many other features, if that campaign succeeds. So, you know, we would really love to see the support from this group.
4: So you you can get a copy of the game, you get a free copy of Inferno 2, which is a game I worked on uh, previously. All Kickstarter backers get a free copy of the multiplayer expansion when that comes out. Um, if there is no Kickstarter funded, then there won't be a multiplayer expansion. <laughs> okay. Well, there's, there's there's the carrot and the stick. We've got both now. That's right. It's a big carrot we're going to hit you on the head with if we
5: don't succeed.
4: <laughs> I mean, usually the big carrot is the game doesn't exist at all, but for us it's the, the multiplayer won't really exist, because we need a, a wide audience to really get multiplayer to actually you know, be a valid thing to put out. Because a chicken and egg problem with multiplayer games, if you don't have player support, the player count, then you can't get people to play it. And if you can't get people to play it, then you won't have the player count. So we really want single player to build up the player count to uh, lead to a multiplayer expansion. Well, that makes sense. All right, guys.
2: Thanks again to Mike and Luke over Revival Productions for joining us. Go check out their Kickstarter project, Overload, before March 11th. Now let's strap Shiv into the sim pod as he reviews Dangerous, a mobile space sim.
3: Record to bridge. If you need me, I'll be at holodeck
0: Shiv here, stepping into the simpod to load up something dangerous. Not Elite Dangerous, mind you. This is something a little bit more hand-sized. Dangerous is a mobile game for Android, iOS, but it's also on Mac and PC, but I've only tried the Android version. The premise is simple, perhaps unoriginal, but you play as a character so bad his records are erased and his name is turned to Dangerous, and he's tossed into a prison with the key misplaced as far away as possible. The game starts with Dangerous not knowing his past, and he needs to save the galaxy, perhaps, but it's all kind of poked fun at and doesn't seem to take it too seriously. I don't think it's a negative to the game. You may be thinking, a mobile game? Are you sure? I want more to my space sims than a mobile game can deliver. I haven't played hours yet, but this game seems to deliver on several staples of the space sim combat, trade, mining, transport, and building an empire. Near the start, you can choose a specialty, or build it all up from the ground. Naturally, I picked the corporate skills, which lets you run a trading empire with other ships as you go about doing other things, like more trading. I'm still getting going, but I've been able to get some credits in my account. The trading system doesn't appear too dynamic, in a sense, I don't think it's like X3 where a station needs goods to produce and supply and demand. But the closer to the supply you are, the cheaper it is, and it sells for more, the further away you get. If you gain reputation, you can stop buying from the trade hubs and go right to the suppliers. Combat is made to work well on the mobile platform. You can fly manually, but there are also several autopilot options as well. It works okay. I haven't gotten entirely used to it, and I need to learn to know when I'm outmatched sooner so I can bail. Travels fairly quick, so you won't sit there draining your battery just going to the next station. They're also safer and more dangerous systems as well, so you can play it safe or risk it. The game didn't seem to cause any large use of battery on my phone. It's a tad small on a 6-inch screen, but I don't have any problems. I have the HD version and everything is pretty crisp. My tablet is a bit long in a tooth, but there's a standard definition version too, which might run better on an older device. The UI has some customizability, so if the buttons need moved, there are some options. Real plus is I can play this in a wedding room in bed while my wife knits a blanket, or break at work, and it's it's not watered down, it's a pretty solid game. Another highlight to the mobile versions is there's a free version. You're limited on the amount of skill points you can spend, but there's plenty enough to try out the game and see if it's uh, your cup of tea. The mobile price is a bit better than the steam price by quite a bit, and it doesn't seem like they made a new UI which is unfortunate. There's also some hate because it's an Elite Dangerous clone, but this was out before ED was announced. so haters gonna hate. But I don't hate this game. In fact, I kinda like it. Be sure to ask the holographic help questions on each screen if you're not sure exactly what's going on. Give Dangerous a try on Mobile and see if it's enough to scratch an itch. On the go or when you want to lay in the couch and rule space with an iron ledger. Simulant Shiv signing out. Let's tune into the feedback loop and let you in on the conversation. Okay buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendlies! So let's
2: Just be friendly. Some say his bounty level's over 9,000 and that he's the real reason the Engineers is delayed. But all we know is he's called the Shiv, and he'll put together this week's feedback. Last week's community question, achievements. Do they increase the fun and help you find new and exciting ways to play? Or is too much instant gratification a bad thing? And as a bonus, everyone who wrote the word achievement gets the achievement achievement.
1: And Robbie O'Brien kicks things off saying, here's the thing, Tony, you ignorant slut. I think that some achievements I've come across in my gaming days have been excellent little nuggets that have, in ways, improved my skills in that particular game. The most recent of these was the, at bobsled624, doesn't believe in a no-win scenario, from STO. For those unfamiliar, this achievement is a global notification that went out to the entire online community, notifying them that you'd beaten the no-win scenario PVE queue." This queue, in its early days, was notoriously difficult, and it was only through skill, determination, and becoming a far better player that you and your team could reach the end of that particular queue. On top of the global recognition and the personal knowledge that you are one of the elite few to beat this nigh-impossible queue, the queue was retired several months ago, meaning that this is not an achievement that you can actually achieve anymore. This sense of accomplishment and the drive to be one of the few elite made me become a far better player and learn the game's mechanics as far as possible in order to get there. In general, though, I have to agree with Lennon. Pressing F to open my cockpit and getting a cockpit opener achievement? No. Just no. Great show as always, guys. Keep it coming. Also, Lennon, where the f*** is the question where the f*** is the first person shooter module?
2: That other guy writes in to say, I think the achievements are great for hard milestones that require skill, like Gaining a 25 hit combo with the Dragon Sword and Ninja Gaiden, or not triggering any alerts, use any rations and no kills in a Metal Gear game. Achievements that are just handed out for advancing the plot, or thrown to you because you completed a task, are simply for achievement horrors. not saying that's bad, but that's not why I play the game.
3: Sean Newboy writes in and says, I, for one, don't worry too much about achievements. And thanks very much to The Wondrous Wingman for coming on. Looking forward to playing the new Descent. Love the original and just have to get myself out of the wasteland. And
1: Sayo writes in to say, "Law, okay, impromptu debates are much better for the record. Since you're going to continue with these debates, here are some topic suggestions. Does a fish know he's wet? Since Jeff is immortal, does that mean he's omniscient as well? Hell no. Is is Shiv the most valuable member of Guard Frequency? Hell no. (laughs) If a meteor meteor explodes in the middle of an ocean and no one is around to hear it, does it make a sound? Think of this as my small yet well-meant contribution for the show. Oh, and an excellent interview with Wingman. Oh, and good show too. Oh, and Shiv, get well soon. Take some more vitamin C or something. Until next week.
2: Tarko Roche writes in and says, Another great episode, guys. On the subject of achievements, I think, like lots of good things, it's good in moderation. But too much can be a bad thing. I agree that when you're being handed a dozen achievements purely because you got through a tutorial, then the concept of achievements is lost, and they become nothing more than a bunch of mundane milestone markers. Also, fantastic to hear from Wingman. I've caught a few of his Descent Wingman's Hangar shows, and they remind me of the original Star Citizen Wingman's Hangar. I miss those. It was also good to hear that there's no ill feelings between him and Chris Roberts, CIG. Really wish him and his team all the best, and hope they do spectacularly well.
1: You know, if there's one thing yeah. that I'm noticing about the debates is that we have debate for, we have debate against, and everybody writes in to say, how about somewhere in between? I think we need to pick a real polarizing issue for next week's topic.
0: Hmm.
2: Are you going to make me be for Hitler? Are you, are you finally going to do that to me?
1: I, I may well do. I may well do. Okay. Space Hitler. Yeah. Space Hitler, yeah.
2: Space Hitler. Why is that awesome? The mustaches. That's why the mustaches. Does a fish know he's wet? That is a deep philosophical question. You know, if you're always in water, do you know you're wet? Is wet even a condition? We're in air.
1: Do we always know we're What's dry? What's the word? Yeah,
2: exactly. What is the word for always being surrounded by air? Dry. I'm gonna go. I was gonna go with breathing. You
3: know. Well, fish breathe. Mm. They just extract oxygen but, from the water.
2: Man, see, we're already getting deep here. We're already getting deep. deep so, in the water. so yeah. So thanks, Sayo. for a guy that doesn't like our debates. Look, look what you've done. You've already contributed to another impromptu debate about fish being wet. <laughs> Nicely done. But yeah, it was good hearing from the wingman again. He's an easy interview. I can't take any credit for it. The guy just loves to talk about his game. He loves. He's just enthusiastic and passionate about what he does. He's a he's a treat to talk to because it it's just really easy to talk to that guy.
1: I think, honestly, that the community have hit the nail on the head with regards to achievement series. That I think that if they are something that you get that is literally an achievement, you know, it's something that you have worked hard towards getting, then by all means award it. If it's just something for completing a tutorial or whatever, then, yeah, scrap it.
2: I was, like, I did ROTC, and Jeff, you were, you were in the military for a long time. I, I liken it to those uh, those medals that you get for perfect yeah, attendance. Yeah, yeah. And, and, show, and, and good conduct. And then there's, like, the Medal of Honor, right? But it's the same square, the same little rectangle, just a different color with different stripes on it. They're all the same. They're all medals, right? You get to wear them on your uniform. But some just sort of mean right. more than others. And in general feedback, Krell says, I hear you guys like bad pirate jokes. What did the octogenarian pirate say on his birthday?
1: I am 18. Oh, God.
2: <laughs> oh, dear.
1: Yeah, oh, we don't wow. like that was, bad
2: yeah, pirate right jokes. <laughs> I don't know, we all laughed. Yeah, that's uh, true. As far as API access goes with appropriate safeguards, I've got no problem with it. For example, providing market data that if it's a bit out of date. 15 or 30 minutes, for example.
1: And Phoenix RP says, Should I spend £40 pre-ordering No Man's Sky or spend it on a LEGO Ecto-1 featuring the female Ghostbusters? Or do neither? Huh. Tough choice. Well, mm. Mm. gentlemen...
2: <laughs> Your debate topic: Should you choose to accept no.
1: it, spend forty pounds ordering no, no Man's
2: Sky, or spend it on Lego Ecto One featuring the female Ghostbusters? Hey, if you're really
3: if you're really Let feeling like it, you could spend it on the collector's box of No Man's Sky and get you know uh, spend one hundred and fifty bucks on it and get absolutely nothing. Well, okay, you get a pretty diecast. You like you die-cast little, uh, yeah, you get like that little yeah, get a die diecast fighter, but the Battlestar Galactica
2: viper yeah.
1: ripoff. The actual answer, though, is if either of them are collector's editions and time limited, buy that one first. If not, it doesn't really make a difference. Especially Ecto 1 and the female ghost. But, I've got thoughts on that, but that's more of a priority one after dark thing. So I'll come back yeah, to that some other yeah. time. I, I, have, I also have thoughts. Um, just going back to Crowley's and his bad pirate jokes, I've got another one for you. So, oh what's no a pirate's favourite letter of the alphabet? R. Uh, you'd think it would be R, but his first love is the sea. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's good. That's good. New Patreon subscriber this week. It could be you. Back us today. The winner of a brand new patch are Ricky. R. Get it? R.
1: <laughs> <Arr>, Ricky. Arr.
3: <laughs> I should reread that. Nah, I can, that'll uh, okay. yeah. We'll need your address to ship it. Send it to squawk at guardfrequency.com.
1: And a quick reminder of this week's community question procedural generation. Is having millions of strange new worlds to explore appealing, or just another reminder that the deep black can get pretty lonely and kind of repetitive? Let us know your thoughts. Send us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com, or post over on our show thread at guardfrequency.com.
2: So, how was the show? Was it like a galaxy full of planets to explore, or was the random number generator a little bit off? Either way, let us know. Here are some ways you can get in touch with us. Why not leave a comment on this show's post over at GuardFrequency.com?
3: Or hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak and leave a comment and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak.
1: If you're old school like us, you can always shoot an email to squawk at GuardFrequency.com.
3: You can also use the contact form on our website
2: and all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Your feedback's an important part of what we do, so take a minute. Tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 110 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 111 on March 15th, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows on our website, guardfrequency.com.
1: But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes, and hopefully this week they'll actually index the right show. And if you're not doing anything Friday nights, you can always join us live at guardfrequency.com live. We start recording around 11 p.m. Central. That's Saturdays at 5 a.m. GMT.
3: Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the best damn space impossible? podcast ever, drop us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And if you don't know the address by now that after the third time I've said it, I will say it again. And right now our audio team is expanding. So if you think you know a high quality show when you hear it, we'd love to hear from you. That email address again is squawk at guardfrequency.com. And you can also support the show by visiting our website, clicking on the Patreon logo and becoming a regular subscriber. For just $1.25, you get access to the raw recordings of our live shows as well as being entered into our weekly draw to win some guard frequency goodies. We want to thank all of our Patreons who support us with their subscriptions week on week and hope that you'll consider making a regular contribution
1: because the more support we get, the better show we can make. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. Check out our website and look under the Cool signs section for details on how you can fly with us. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek, from the TV series to the MMO, the novels, the movies, and everything else in between. Be sure to track them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com.
2: We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, our artists, Ben Sanders and Simon Trolton Edwards, our staff writers, Jeff Grant, Jace Pintad, and Kin Shadow, and of course, our audio engineer, Michael Duncan. Big shout out to our syndication partner, The Bass, and special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit ronaldjenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. Time to three three zero one five. Squawk seven seven zero zero. Stay on the ground.
1: But
3: we're still shunning him this week in favor of something even better—an interview with Mike.
2: <laughs> hey, everybody! This is part of the sausage. Just as fun. Hey, Mikey, cut this part. Or and a tambourine. I need a harmonica and a tambourine. I need a harmonica sitting with those neck brace things. I've got a better idea.
3: What? Jeff, I'll go. Be sitting when the go, evening's Jeff. Come. Go. Okay. Where am I picking it? Uh, Uh, If you start start from next, that'd be great.
2: No, 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 no. That's still wrong.
1: Wow, this is going to be like a 15 minute long intro segment. I don't (laughs) think we've ever had one of
2: them. Well, uh, on the bright side, Mikey has completely filled the blooper reel already. So he can just stop hunting for funny bits because it's all right here.
1: Should we just stop the show right now? You know, very short show, half an intro, but a hell of a blooper reel. Don't worry, uh, Radio Land. We are
3: complete professionals.
1: Yes, consummate yeah, professional.
3: Professionals. What we haven't figured out, but
2: and <laughs> yeah, because we don't get paid, yeah. I, don't know if we I was going to say professional, professional f- cups, but okay. <laughs> Personally, I think the uh, uh, the the uh, oh goddamn, I forgot what the thing is called. The other fighter, the one that I have, the one that I bought, the Hornet, I have the Constellation, and I have the Hornet, and I have the M50, and I have the Gladius.
1: 15, Aurora. Gladius. Constellation Avenger.
2: Oh, no, the big one—the one that's the P thirty eight knockoff. It's the—it's har- got—it's got the Harbinger and the um... the Idris. Oh
1: no, the Idris. javelin. God, huh? Bengal. I'm just yelling it's... words now. No, ah. gentlemen, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to I'm buying... Well, because... this
3: just in. I just got the monthly studio report. Yeah, we covered that. Yeah, uh, we did. We stuck that yeah, in news we didn't use. use. I it's snuck that in there like
1: a badger in the night. It just went in. <laughs> like a badger in the night? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that, must, that must be one of those Britishisms that I don't know about. It's probably one I don't P- know P- about. going off like a badger
2: in the night? Yes. <laughs> 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 ah, names. My mortal <laughs> enemy.